Welcome to the Montefiore Einstein Health Technology Innovation Podcast Series. Today we'll be playing a previous recording from an innovation biodesign seminar. Now we can get started with the presentation. So again, a very special thanks to the speakers for making the time and for your guidance uh, regarding this fellowship program. So really, really appreciate it. So uh, first I'd like to introduce uh, Parth Desai. Parth is a principal at Flare Capital Partners focused on investing in early stage healthcare technology and services companies. Prior to joining Flare Capital, Parth was an investor at New Presbyterian Hospital, responsible for defining innovation priorities, leading three investments, commercializing internal innovation, and forming strategic partnerships to enhance the hospital's patient and clinician care experience. Parth was also previously a healthcare strategy consultant at Deloitte, supporting several M&A transactions and hospital and health plan value-based care strategies. Parth began his career as health policy analyst for the Massachusetts House Representatives, where he worked with the Patrick administration to author pharmaceutical compounding reform legislation that was signed into law by Governor Deval Patrick and used by the FDA to model national regulations. Parth earned his BS in biology from Boston College, MPH in health policy management from Boston University School of Public Health, and Master's in Medicine from Boston University School of Medicine. Parth, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Nate, and uh, great to be here. Um, I'm going to share my screen. I have a couple of slides I'll walk through here. Uh, so we can skip this slide, so you'd appreciate the introduction. Um, I think uh, I'll start just super quick by sharing a little bit more about Flare Capital, where I'm currently at today. Uh, and then I'll spend a little bit of time just walking through some perspectives on raising capital, um, some of the things we evaluate, we think about, um, some aspects of developing a pitch to an investment firm, and then end with a little bit of insight into kind of our due diligence process. Uh, but just to kick things off here, so Flare Capital, we're an early stage healthcare technology and services focused venture capital fund based in Boston. Um, we're full life cycle investors. What that means is we invest in companies at any stage of their life cycle, but we do have a preference for the earlier stage. And what that means is seed, series A, series B, generally speaking. We tend to be, I would say, the second check or third check into the company. Um, occasionally, we will, uh, we will be the first check in. Um, as I mentioned, half a billion in assets uh, across two separate funds. We're currently investing out of our second fund. Uh, the one thing I always like to point out, given our healthcare focus, is 60% uh, of our capital, the money that we invest, uh, is actually strategic in nature. So 10 large health systems, Montefiore actually happens to be one of our LPs, is an investor in our fund. But uh, Cleveland Clinic, UPMC, Intermountain, are a couple of other large provider systems uh, who we invest on behalf of. Uh, six large national health plans, uh, Humana, Centene, uh, Aetna CVS, and then we have some pharma, lab, and device companies on the platform as well. Uh, we work really closely with that group. So that group has actually invested $200 million alongside us in our portfolio companies, and they've been customers of our portfolio companies to the tune of about $400 million. So I always like to point that out because it speaks to the nature of how we like to work with our portfolio companies. And given how challenging and complicated the healthcare industry is to navigate, uh, we find that having that, that kind of captive LP base uh, has been super helpful in accelerating the growth of our portfolio companies. Uh, so that's a little bit about us. Um, so let me dive into kind of these three topics here, when to raise venture capital, how to think about uh, developing your pitch, and then lastly, shedding some insight into our due diligence process. 
But just taking a step back here for a second, um, you know, the venture capital landscape is broad. And so as you think about kind of launching a company, launching a concept and seeking potential capital partners to help scale that up, uh, you have a whole number of options. So kind of looking all the way on the left here, you know, friends and family, banks, loans, uh, private equity, angel investors, et cetera, et cetera. I would say, you know, think about venture capital when you have kind of two objectives in mind. Uh, one is you should be aware, you know, with venture capital comes an expectation for rapid growth in a short amount of time. You know, generally speaking, um, fund life cycles range from about, you know, seven to 10 years or so, give or take. Um, and so investors are looking to invest and uh, investors are expecting to see quick growth along that timeline and hoping to exit the company uh, in that timeline. And the other thing, just to kind of quickly think about, many venture capital firms have different styles of investment, but generally speaking, you know, you should be willing to give up some equity uh, in exchange for that partnership. Um, and I'm going to speak on behalf of kind of the digital health perspective. We don't invest in biotech or pharmacotherapeutics or uh, clinical grade products that have to go through a regulatory pathway, but it sounds like some of you uh, do have interest in the digital health landscape, so I'll, I'll kind of speak from that perspective. But you know, generally speaking, there's about 4,000 active investors uh, across, uh, across, uh, across the entire investment landscape, and about 750 of those uh, actually invest in digital health companies. Uh, that repeat investor stat, that's just really to highlight that uh, you know, many of that 750 are, are pretty active, meaning they've made more than one bet. They're not just being opportunistic. Um, last year, we had about 440 VCs who, who made investments in digital health companies. And one interesting angle um, for some of you who obviously you know, are affiliated with the health system is many of these investments are actually made by corporate venture capital groups. And so you know, sometimes an interesting fundraising option is if you uh, have a relationship with a corporate entity like a health system, uh, either a commercial, either they're a commercial customer or uh, maybe the idea was incubated there, they could be the, they could be an interesting kind of first place to go uh, and help spark or catalyze other investor interest. Um, so this slide just kind of goes through some detail on how to build relationships with investors and how to get your foot in the door. Uh, the left-hand side are actually real metrics. These are, these are funnel metrics, meaning um, we, we saw about 4,000 deals last year, give or take. Um, and so that number one leads 100%, that's that 4,000. But you'll see as you go down um, top to bottom, we met with only about 36% of those companies, so about 64%. Um, we never even had a chance to do a first meeting with. And then fewer than 2% obviously end up in diligence. And you see that we invest in less than about half a percent of all the companies that, that, uh, that are brought to us. There's many reasons for that. Um, but broadly speaking, that those numbers are there just to give you a sense of what that funnel might look like for one firm. And to emphasize that you know the way to, I think, build compelling relationships and to get um, uh, 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 an introduction to a VC firm and maybe even increase your chance of moving down uh, that waterfall is really first uh, is really warm introductions. Uh, you know, uh, again, uh, probably about 500 to 600 deals come through my inbox in any given year. And, you know, the, the ones that I think I jump on immediately are those who come from trusted referral sources. And so 
Um, these are folks who I know and I trust, I've worked with, uh, and they're, you know, an evangelist or advocate for a company. And, you know, they're telling me you should spend time here. You know, that's a quick pre-filter for me. I can, I can vet and understand this is something I should take a look at because someone trusted again, sent it my way. And so finding your evangelists and, um, and looking for those strategic relationships you can leverage to get a warm introduction, super important. Um, and, you know, I would say the other thing is don't, when, when you're thinking about raising capital, um, in some ways, raising capital is always kind of something that's always ongoing, meaning you shouldn't think about building those relationships necessarily uh, only when you're seeking money. Um, I find it super helpful when companies um, send periodic updates uh, or just want to check in from time to time to share how they're doing. That helps keep them top of mind. And I'm excited. I'm proactively kind of tracking them. Uh, as I'm kept up to date on their progress. And, you know, same thing, once you've met uh, an investor, if you think there's a fit, you like them, um, you know, it's always helpful to periodically stay top of mind and send those updates. And then lastly, um, you know, we'd, we'd love to invest in almost everything, you know, we see there's a lot of great ideas that come our way, but we unfortunately, the nature of it is we can't. Um, and sometimes we do have to turn companies down. Um, and I think it's super important that, you know, if that does happen, one thing that always resonates well, so just ask, uh, hey, you know, why wasn't it a fit this time around? Uh, you know, what what might this company look like at the next stage that would get you excited? And that's both actionable feedback, but also, I think, well-received. And you'd be surprised how many investors might say, hey, this is a little bit too early for us, maybe. Um, but I know a bunch of folks who might be interested in this, then forward you along uh, that way. Um so super quick, I'll, I'll walk through kind of some of the areas that we really look um, look for in a pitch when a company is sharing their story with us uh, the first time around. Um, you know, these are just general tips, but, you know, in terms of demeanor, in terms of presentation style, uh, I thought it might be helpful just to kind of walk through some quick things that uh, I've seen, you know, resonate really well with our team uh, in terms of pitches and pitch decks. Uh, one is, you know, less is more. So um, short, pithy statements, um, making sure that there aren't too many words on a page, making sure that, you know, both the description on the slides or in, in a deck and delivery uh, is easy to understand, easy to follow along. I think it projects confidence um, if you have that crisp delivery. Um, so I think that's just something that's super important, those intangible metrics. And the other thing I would like to point out is it's okay if you don't have all the answers. Um, I do think humility and the ability to both recognize um, where there might be gaps today, but also have a pretty concise and compelling answer for how you might address those gaps um, reflects well. Uh, you know, we, we know that most of the companies we're interacting with are early stage businesses. They won't have all the answers, but um, acknowledging that and getting in front of that up front and, you know, coming up with a good answer as to how you might go about addressing it again. So I think it's always well received. Um, so these are a few of the um, areas that we oftentimes will diligence, look at closely, evaluate in the pitch. Uh, first really is around team. We're early stage investors. I can't emphasize enough how important the team are, the team's background, their, their suitability to tackle this market need, their expertise um, is an important part of the investment we make, arguably maybe the most important part. Um, and so these are, I, I won't kind of walk through all these bullet points in detail, but these are just, you know, some things to, 
to potentially think about. The second area is around the market, um, fairly self-explanatory, but uh, again, I think what we're looking for are markets that uh, may be super fragmented, super inefficient, but growing, um, meaning there's both inefficiency and value to be created, um, but also forward-looking growth uh, and customers who might get excited about this if you're solving those inefficiencies. Um, and with healthcare, it's always important to keep in mind those regulatory dynamics, how they might change. There might be forthcoming legislation that could be a huge tailwind for your business. Always good to point that out. Um, the third area is around product. Uh, I think I'll summarize this to say, um, we always wrestle with this concept of like a point solution or a platform. At the end of the day, we're looking for businesses that solve a discrete tactical need. There's clear ROI associated with it. But longer term, there are adjacent aspects of the product that can be layered on that will expand that value, that'll expand, that'll allow you to kind of have larger contract sizes and grow uh, your customer base. And so we look for that story is what value you're creating today um, and how is that going to expand longer term. Uh, and the other three areas, uh, business model, again, fairly self-explanatory. I won't go through kind of all the detail here. I will note something uh, that's very important to our fund in specific is we look for quote unquote value creation stories, uh, basically meaning that, um, you know, is your product um, creating enough ROI where you'd be comfortable taking risks for that, uh, meaning taking a percentage of the savings maybe that you create, right? And can you tell that story? Can you paint that picture? I think that's something that our team, that always resonates very well with our team. Um, Competitive landscape, again, fairly self-explanatory. Um, so I won't go through that in too much detail uh, other than to say, you know, a competitive moat and how you're differentiated, maybe in a crowded market is, is always a good slide to have. And then lastly, finance and traction. Um, oftentimes what investors are looking for is a really compelling uh, growth story, meaning, you know, there might be a little bit of revenue this year, but there's a multiple of that going year after year. And uh, I think it's always important too to, to paint a reasonable picture. I think when the picture is too rosy and the story uh, is almost unbelievable, that can sometimes be a yellow flag. So it's always be always mind, always good to be mindful about kind of how you frame that, uh, that aspect of the story. Uh, and then lastly, our due diligence process. Um, so this is, I, I like to include this slide because it, it can sometimes be nebulous. It can be sometimes a black box to many entrepreneurs as to how to how do investors come to the decisions they come to, like what 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 do they do and, and what gives them either conviction uh, or, um, you know, maybe uh, nervousness about investing in a company. Um, and so, like, really, you know, tactically, these are the things we do. But the first thing we do is we we call market and industry experts. So these can be, you know, some of those health plans and health systems in our network who we know really well, and we see them as logos or customers of the company, easy phone calls. Uh, you know, what we generally ask is, hey, is this working? Um, hey, what value is this creating? And hey, are you going to expand that relationship, right? Um, those calls and specific industry expertise um, is a really important part of our overall diligence process. Uh, and as those calls are set in motion, the other thing we do is, you know, we'll start to do our financial analysis, which is really looking at the management forecast, looking at maybe the pipeline of future revenue opportunities or customer opportunities um, and, and rec reconciling whether, you know, we believe that we'll, we'll oftentimes bump it up against market data 
uh, and understand, you know, hey, if you have X number of members two years from now, how much of the market is that? And is that something we believe? Sometimes there's no basis for a lot of these businesses because they're the they're trailblazers or the first uh, of their kind to build this product. Uh, and so then we'll oftentimes look at comps and we'll look at businesses that we feel are maybe a little bit similar, um, but not exactly directly competitive and use that as kind of a reference point. Uh, if all those things trend well and we start to get comfortable around the opportunity, that's when we start to discuss terms um, around valuation, um, you know, what, uh, whether we want a board seat, things like that. Um, but I would say the first three steps are gating steps and then discussion around terms um, get set in motion. And I think another important part of this too is just legal and IP diligence. Um, we'll ask for a data room. We'll go through kind of um, uh, look at uh, whether you have any IP, whether you have any copyrights um, and, and essentially look at uh, maybe in past, we've also looked at employer agreements, right? And tried to figure out, hey, if people have left the company, why have they left? But there are a number of steps there that you know I can talk about uh, in more detail. Folks are interested offline um, that are involved in that process. But um, anyways, I'll pause there. Those are kind of the main things um, that I wanted to hit on here today. Uh, I'm not sure if there are any questions, um, Sunit, but uh, I might stop sharing my slides here. Great, thank you so much, Part. That was a, a great presentation. Thank you for your inspiring work and uh, for your support of innovation program. And uh, you know, if, if it's okay with everyone, we'd love to have a, a panel kind of Q and A at the end. So uh, yeah. again, thank you so much for uh, that great presentation. And sure. uh, I would now like to introduce uh, Austin Walters. So Austin Walters is the founder and managing partner of uh, Springtime Ventures, a Boston and Salt Lake City-based venture firm investing in data and software solutions to large healthcare problems. Austin is a serial entrepreneur and is devoted to the democratization of Austin globally. He is a graduate of Harvard Business School and Brigham Young University. Austin, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. We really appreciate it. Glad to be here, Sunit. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, it's great, thank you. All right, great. Well, very happy to be here with you all uh, today. We're um, a much earlier and, uh, and, and smaller fund than Flare Capital. We have tremendous respect for the work that they're doing and, and um, to not be uh, redundant, I think what I'll do is uh, share a couple of slides and then just go back on camera and, and share some thoughts about things we're learning and things that may be useful to, uh, to those of you listening today. Um, so let me go ahead and, and share. Can you see that, Sunit? Yes. Okay, great. So Sunit mentioned we're a, a Boston Salt Lake City based fund, although uh, one of the unique things about Springtide, which uh, we got started with the first closing on our first fund in uh, December 2018, started investing in 2019, really with a proof of concept fund around artificial intelligence. So we're uh, not just a focused, but a hyper-focused fund. Uh, we're all healthcare technology. And within that, we really look at data science and artificial intelligence applications. And our strategy was to build a, a network of limited partners, investors in the fund who were serial entrepreneurs that have had experience growing companies, um, building them and, and exiting them. That's proven to be a, a very successful strategy for deal flow generation across the country. And so we've worked hard to have 
these are mostly individuals, not yet institutions, where we've ended up being a 40 million assets under management fund one. Um, and we've, we feel we've proven the concept of, of this um, focus and, and are preparing to raise a $100 million fund two later this year. Um, these are some of, I, I'd like to introduce you to, to the team. We're a small firm, as I mentioned right now. Um, the, the three of us, Dan Lambert, Yanis Manavukas, and I are the, the founders, the managing partners in the investment committee. And uh, we make unanimous um, investment decisions. Our process is um, to go deep on the tech, to go deep on customer due diligence with companies we don't invest pre-revenue, uh, but we do prefer to be the first check into a company, uh, institutional check, I should say. Often there are earlier angel investors or perhaps the founders put some money in um, maybe in a um, half a million to $2 million pre-seed in, in convertible notes or safe notes. And we like to be the first institutional investor to come in and price the company uh, lead a, a round at the seed stage. And really to do that, we're, we're typically buying about 10% of a company at the seed stage and 20% at the A stage. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, Dan Yanis and I are, are entrepreneurs by background. We have uh, about a half a billion in, in exits across four companies personally. Um, and uh, Yanis is a life sciences entrepreneur by background. Uh, the three of us graduated from Harvard Business School, but Yanis also has a PhD in chemical engineering from Stanford. Dan is a full stack software engineer, um, and we got to know each other through our first startup together 10 years ago, uh, which didn't succeed. But there's success after failure. Uh, we, we learned a lot, became good friends, and, and um, I backed his next uh, company, Board Vitals, uh, who for, for some of the physicians listening, uh, you may know it as a, um, what I think is the best board study tool on the market. They exited to uh, Blackstone Holdings Company in 2017. And, and actually, I, I believe the next speaker is a Blueprint um, co-founder. So you, you probably know uh, Dan and, and, and the Board Vitals team who uh, built the company in, in New York. So uh, really um, been exciting to work together and our approach to, to finding companies to learning more about them to investing in them and then to supporting them post-investment is really focused on value creation from a sales and business development perspective, as well as from a technology and product market fit perspective. And so we, we view those two things as being hand in hand. And um, I would like to um, say a few words about, again, our approach and philosophy before I um, speak a bit more free form. So uh, our, our thesis, the way our, our philosophy is, uh, first of all, we, we invest using Clayton Christensen's innovators prescription and disruptive innovation theories as our theoretical North Star. So uh, I spent several years working closely with Clay as a consultant at InnoSight, uh, as well as a student of his and, um, and, a, and a mentee advisee um, I spent two years researching medical device innovation in India 
on a disruptive innovation theory that, that as a massive but resource constrained market, they would invent things that uh, are inherently uh, more accessible to larger numbers of people. A good example of that would be the world's first handheld ultrasound machine. It was actually invented by and in for India by GE. Um, and now 15 years later, you have companies like Butterfly worth several billion uh, that are doing the same thing uh, with some artificial intelligence uh, and other innovations that have reduced the cost of the product. But really exciting um, time, I think, to, to be in health tech. There's a lot of opportunity to democratize and expand access. That's what we're all about. Um, we do invest in, in founding teams. And it, I'm surprised how often you'll see uh, entrepreneurs that are either a single founder or it's um, founders of a tech company with no full-time CTO. Um, and neither of those are situations that we consider to be investable. Um, so we always want there to be multiple full-time co-founders, at least one of which uh, is a hands-in-the-code uh, CTO. We, uh, as I mentioned, invest post-revenue. And so, uh, but the thing about software and, and tech-enabled companies usually is that they can get to revenue or a very close revenue proxy pretty soon. Um, and, and on occasion, we've invested in companies, for instance, selling to payers. Uh, they'll have a fully executed agreement for uh, per member per month pricing and, and they're really bulletproof, but the revenues aren't realized and probably won't be for another you know, six to 12 months. That's fine. Um, that, that what we really care about is speaking with several customers uh, who are paying a fair and representative price uh, to understand why they're doing that. And uh, is this solution that we're going to be investing in the team that's operating that solving problems in healthcare that are acutely felt, widely held and poorly addressed by existing solutions? Um, Although on the last point, I would say as far as competition goes, um, that's the presence of competition per se is not a bad thing. If anything, I think it's, it's an encouraging thing. Um, and it's not usually much of a concern for us because healthcare in reality is such an enormous market in the U.S. and it's so fragmented uh, that as long as you, the company operates well, and, and maintains uh, high quality in their service offering or product, uh, they will grow and succeed. This is our view. Um, we do generate proprietary deal flow. As I mentioned, our strategy is to construct a, a network of uh, very active entrepreneur LPs. Um, so we, we have nearly 100 uh, investors in fund one, most of which will carry forward into fund two and will we'll form the bulk of, of, of our investor base um, over the coming years. Uh, we uh, are active investors. I mentioned we prefer to lead rounds and be the first money in to price the company. And uh, we, we take the time and have the courage to do that. Um, and so I think, and we, we tend to work well with entrepreneurs. We've been in their shoes um, and uh, as I mentioned, we, we have a focus on technical and sales, business development, execution. Okay, so 
if it's okay with you, Sunit, I'm going to, I'm going to come off the slides and just mention a few more things, uh, face to face as it were about things we're, uh, we're learning and have learned over the past couple of years, investing in this space. Um, one of the, the first thing I'd mention is the importance of building a full solution uh, in artificial intelligence and, and in healthcare generally. What I mean by this is that um, sometimes you'll, you'll, uh, you'll have a team that has developed an algorithm at an academic medical center, for instance. And uh, um, algorithms do not a company make. The company is a lot more um, than uh, a tool or a widget. And, um, and typically in healthcare, you have to provide so much more than just the algorithm. The algorithm can be a piece of, the, of the, the product or the service or the IP, but you end up having to do so much systems integration. And, and usually there's almost always a layer of service provision on top of even a pure software platform. So that's, uh, that's been a learning and, and that has implications for how to fund uh, companies in this space as well as um, uh, the team that, you've, that you found with. Um, we um, always conduct a jobs to be done analysis um, as part of our due diligence, which we found to be so powerful. I mentioned this uh, in passing around our approach to validating customer demand. And I would just um, point you to Clayton Christensen's milkshake video on YouTube. Just go to YouTube or, or Google and, and research Clay Christensen's milkshake video, which is a story he tells to illustrate this theory of uh, customer demand validation. It's a fundamental way of understanding it that goes well beyond uh, kind of typical market research methodologies and is why we insist on having, you know, there being customers we can speak with. We don't generally care how much revenue there is. We just want it to be representative and uh, for there to be a, a customer or two or three we can speak with. Um, capital efficiency and, and the importance of that uh, for early founders in healthcare. Because healthcare is so complex and fragmented, often it takes companies time to find true product market fit. And um, therefore being extremely capital efficient in the early years of the business is, is so important. Um, and, and in our view, it often doesn't make sense to really ramp up until that product market fit has been uh, really perfectly understood and is extremely tight and the company's actually ready to scale. Um, the move fast and break things philosophy that's so prevalent in Silicon Valley for consumer SaaS or, or, or enterprise SaaS or con con consumer products, it doesn't always uh, work in healthcare, um, particularly when the stakes are high, if it's, if it's diagnostic or therapeutic or patient facing in any way. Um, I would um, also like to just mention some alternative, alternative uh, funding options uh, for, for the startup. So venture capital is considered an alternative asset um, in the investment world. Uh, and Sometimes uh, founders and entrepreneurs think that that's the only way to, to receive or uh, the only place to look for early stage funding, and it's not true. Um, 
it's it's a fit for certain kinds of businesses. But in fact, uh, the best source of capital is customers. I'll, I'll say that one more time. The best source of capital is customers. And fundamentally, if you build a product or service that's a solution to a problem in healthcare, um, and you can find uh, and serve institutions, people who are willing to pay for that, um, and it's a win-win, that's, that's how you build a business. And there are many, many examples, many more examples, arguably, of companies that have succeeded uh, taking that approach than, than venture-backed unicorn companies. So I want to mention that, that even if you go the venture route, um, not giving short shrift to customers as your most important source of capital along the way, it will help to uh, mitigate the dilution that you, that you uh, suffer uh, raising uh, venture capital. I also want to mention venture debt as uh, an interesting route. We syndicated a, a $17 million venture debt facility for one of our companies for whom we had led the A round last summer, uh, last fall. They went from zero to 30 million in annual contracted revenues last year, um, in part due to the pandemic. And, um, and so they had this need for a very large amount of capital quickly. And rather than go out for a round, which they didn't have realized right, these were contracted revenues with payers. Um, we decided to take a venture debt approach um, instead and, and set up an SPV. And that worked beautifully. We got that done in two to three weeks. Um, uh, and so, um, and then also just mentioning other non-dilutive sources that are, I think, secondary to customers, but still um, often overlooked by a particularly less experienced or first-time founders. And that's SMB grants, or excuse me, SMB loans, grants, um, and, and possibly bank loans uh, against um, assets at the company, depending on your kind of business. So uh, those are, um, I think the, the points I'd like to share, Sunit, um, today I'll stop there and, and turn the time to the next speaker. Awesome, thank you so much. That was uh, so incredibly inspirational. Uh, thank you for serving as a program mentor and you know, really appreciate uh, all of your insights and, and expertise. So thanks for joining today. We really appreciate it. And I'd now like to introduce uh, Dr. Brad uh, Weinberg. Dr. Brad Weinberg is a founding partner of Blueprint Health, an early stage uh, healthcare investment firm that has invested in over 80 digital health companies since 2011. Blueprint Health portfolio companies have raised over $500 million in investment capital and have generated over $2 billion in cumulative enterprise value. Prior to Blueprint Health from 2006 to 2011, he was a co-founder and chief technology officer at ShapeUp a venture capital-backed software as a service company acquired by Virgin Pulse in 2016. Prior to ShapeUp from 2003 to 2005, he serves as senior investment analyst at the Brown University Endowment. He holds an MD from the Brown University School of Medicine and a BA in business economics, also from Brown University. He's a CFA charter holder and a member of the CFA Institute. Brad, thank you so much for joining and for your mentorship. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sunit. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Um, I think Parth and Austin covered the majority of, of the information that needs to be covered. So if anybody has a specific question around fundraising, please like feel free to unmute and ask something. Um, 
we work with really early stage companies. Um, these are usually companies that are pre-revenue. Sometimes it's a couple of individuals with an idea. And I think Parth covered well kind of like the dynamics of what a VC is looking for and we're not too dissimilar in deciding the types of individuals or companies that, that we're gonna work with. We might be a little bit earlier and more looking at the team and just the, the business idea they have rather than the traction that they already have to date, but it's a lot of the same thing. So get in, I'll, I'll cover some of the same information that Austin and Parth did. I think Austin did a really good job of highlighting customers. Um, and I think within that group, grants um, fit in with a funding source. Um, and to just kind of go really high level, I think there's three main sources of capital. There's people you know, there's your customers or grants, and there's people you don't know. And people you don't know, that's the VC bucket. Um, and the people you know um, are friends and family and, and um, in broader networks. And from our experience, actually, the majority of companies are funded either by cu customers or the people that you know. Um, not the 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 um, it is not the majority of companies that are actually even VC backable companies. And some of that's maybe understanding what VCs you know need. Um, as Parth said, they're looking for high growth, and not only high growth, but companies that can grow pretty big. So um, they're looking for companies that you know, can, can really tell a story that they can get to maybe $50 million of revenue. So they'd be an attractive acquisition target. Um, often they're looking for companies that already have revenue, you know, maybe a million dollars plus of revenue, or they're looking for a founder that's done it and exited before um, if it doesn't have that traction. Um, so there is a nature of, of, of the business where, um, you know, people will bet on on folks that have been successful before. So, um, there are other routes. We spend a lot of time in our program walking through, you know, you know how to how to raise money. I think at a high level, it's not much different than a sales process. Um, you know, not to overcomplicate it and, and really get in the weeds, but you just need to be having a lot of conversations. So be ready to have hundreds of conversations sometimes to raise the amount of capital that you want. And then you need to realize like what you're selling. Um, what is the purpose of what you're doing? If you're trying to sell an investment opportunity, you need to believe you have an, yeah, an investment opportunity, a way for an investor to make money on their capital, to, to do better than what they would would have with their money in, a, in an alternative, like invest in, in stocks or or bonds or something like that. Um, so you need to be able to to kind of really articulate what the opportunity is, and that opportunity opportunity is fundamentally built on having a business that's going to make money, that's going to have an exit opportunity or a way to return capital to investors. And so you need to actually one to understand if that's really what you want to do. Do you want to build a business, um, you know, does it have a potential that you, you know, have a customer that's going to pay you that you're going to grow it into a pretty substantial type of business? Um, or is it something else? And if it's something else, if it's a research project or something else, that's probably a great route for, for grant funding um, or, you know, um, you know, other ways of funding if you need that capital to, to do what you want to do. Um, 
And if you can really, if you can, if you, if there really is a business opportunity, then you need to get in the mindset that you're actually giving investors an opportunity. Um, and that's where kind of Parth talked about a lot of like, there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a dance. There's a way of pitching um, that can be taught and learned and definitely finding uh, folks that can help you do that dance can be really helpful. And that's a lot of what we did at Blueprint was, you know, help people understand how to craft their message. Um, it could be within, you know, an accelerator, you know, accelerator like ours, it, you know, there's a, no, a number of them out there. Um, it could be folks that have started a company before and been successful. Uh, but there is a dance to it that you need to learn. Um, some people are good at it naturally. Some some just need some help with it. Um, and then you need to get in the mindset that that one you you know you're building something that can provide a really good investment opportunity for the people that you can offer it to. Um, and if you can do that, and you can both build that business and show examples and show tra traction of why it, there is that opportunity. And then at the same time, if you can have those conversations, which can be, you know, in the hundreds, you can, you know, get the capital that you need to fund your business um, and, you know, and keep it growing. And at the end of the day, the business is about the business, right? It's about getting the customers. It's about providing a good solution that solves problems. The funding is just hopefully, you know, helps you get there, um, but it's an important part of the story. Um, an important, you know, uh, fuel to the fire. So that's it at a high level. I think what I wanted to share, I'd love to open it up to, you know, questions and see actually, you know, after everything that everybody said, if there's you know, specific things that people are interested in, especially how early stage it sounded like a lot of the ideas were, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to complicate things with too much jargon and, and, and the weeds items. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brad. That was, uh, you know, really amazing. Uh, but otherwise, uh, again, thank you so much, uh, Parth, Austin, Brad. Uh, thanks for your amazing work, for uh, taking the time, for your uh, great insights, inspiring presentations. Uh, and uh, again, you know, for your uh, guidance, mentorship uh, regarding this program. So truly appreciate it. And yeah. thanks to everyone for joining. Uh, we'll keep everyone posted at the next seminar in a few weeks. And again, thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having us. Take care. Good night.